0: He took all of my introductory material. I don't know what else to say about myself now. Um, I love the things that you guys come up with. I don't know if that's pre-planned or on the spot. Yeah, that's great. No, it's great. Um, this, you're not recording yet, are you? All right, I'll stop. Um, <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. Um, well, it is great to be here again with you guys. Um, it's, it is a, an honor, a privilege for, for me to come and, and, to, and to open up God's Word and, and to speak with you. Um, I am uh, My wife and I do, do currently um, worship with Restoration Church. It's a small church plant, um, but I'm also the spiritual life coordinator uh, at Coastal Christian High School uh, in Monkey Junction. And so that's, that's kind of my, my day job there. It's, uh, it's a phenomenal opportunity. Um, I'm basically like a, a chaplain or a pastor for a bunch of high school kids and uh, their, their teachers. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I want to do a couple of things first that may seem a little odd, um, sort of. And, and the first one is to tell you just a little bit about uh, my speaking style. Now, some of you have heard me speak before. Um, I speak very plainly. Um, I don't like to beat around the bush. I, I don't like to um, do a whole lot of stories and all this stuff. And in so doing, and this is, this is the, the odd part, right? This, this can come across real heavy. So, so I can speak very matter-of-factly, uh, which, which can come across in a different way. And so um, if, if anything that I say tonight come across uh, comes across as, as offensive or kind of rubs you the wrong way, uh, please don't take it that way. Um, and, and I can hopefully help clarify some of that, uh, later on, but, uh, that's, that's just my speaking style. And I want to make you aware of that, uh, ahead of time, uh, as we, as we jump in as well, uh, we, we are going to open God's word. Uh, we'll, we'll read a, a passage of scripture, uh, here in just a little bit. Um, but I'm going to be working from kind of this, uh, understanding of the gospel, and in an understanding of some of your relationship with Christ. And so um, it's not going to be kind of this evangelistic message. And so what I I want to do, even before we jump into anything, is I want to just make sure that we are all kind of clear and understanding of of who Jesus is, of what He's done for us. Um, uh, What the Scriptures tell us is that in the beginning, God created all things. He created us good. And he had a plan for that. He had a a blueprint, so to speak, for that. Um, And he said that things were very good, right? Genesis 3 rolls around. We see sin enter the world. Sin enters through Adam and Eve. Everything's broken. The world is broken. Humans are broken. Everything is broken. Right? From the inside out, everything is broken. And we see this promise that one day there will be Redemption. One day there will be some, someone who comes to redeem, right? To reconcile back to the Father. Well, we see a lot of history in the Old Testament, of, of and we really see a lot of God's covenant and, and how he preserves his people in order to fulfill those promises, in order to bring his people to the place of redemption, which we ultimately see in Christ. Right? The, the God-man, the incarnation, Jesus being both fully man and fully God, who, who comes to live the perfect life in humility and in true obedience, the one that we could not live. Right, We are by nature sinners, by our choices, by our nature, by our actions, all of it. But Christ, in His life, and then through His payment on the cross, bore our sin, and not only bore our sin, but became our sin as the perfect, sinless Savior. And then, in resurrecting from the grave, he defeats death, defeats Satan, and reigns victorious. Okay? So, that is what the Scripture is all about. And so, I'm working already from an assumption that we're on the same page with that. Alright? Okay. Now, a little interaction for you. Okay? This is a little less heavy. Um, I just, I'm curious to know how you make a decision. What is, uh, and, and you don't have to respond yet, what is your decision-making process? What does that look like for you practically? What, do, you, do you have a way of thinking through making decisions? So let's, let's do a fun example. Hey, when you are presented with the opportunity to eat ice cream, how do you make that decision? How do you how do you make the decision whether or not you're going to eat ice cream later? Some of you have already done this, okay. But how did you make the decision? Anybody want to share? Okay, so so the the taste, right? You it would be great to taste the wonderful flavorful ice cream. Okay, what else? Okay, cost, right? So there's there's some sort of, of, of logic that's involved there in, in kind of number crunching. What else? Okay, what brand? Yeah. Um. Okay, am I still hungry? Yeah, right. Am I going to overindulge? Okay, yeah. How about dieting? Anybody, uh, is, that, is that ever a struggle? Like when you when you decide maybe you're not going, no? Yeah, okay. <laughs> That one, that one's just out. Um, anyone ever fasted before? Yeah, and then maybe you get presented with with some ice cream. Um, how about um, maybe even some irrational reason? Like I went to the gym today, so I can eat whatever I want. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure I say that on a daily basis, um, but it's fine. Um, so you can, okay? So you can see in this kind of kind of silly. Uh, silly example here. There are, there are a ton of places. There, there are a whole host of different sources uh, of what I will call authority in our lives. Um, ways or things that we could choose to listen to in order to make a decision just as simple as whether or not I'm going to eat ice cream, right? We, we're not even talking about what flavor to get yet. Okay? And if you're at Killwinds, this is a major problem um but you could turn to things like your feelings am I still hungry the the taste of it right that's your feelings reason whether it's irrational or rational uh, things uh, like dieting or uh, whatever whatever logic you want to put the cost uh, someone mentioned earlier uh, family right this one this one may maybe a, a little bit of a stretch but Uh, some of you grew up in a home where you were warned not to eat too much sugar, right? That's pretty much all of us probably. And, and so maybe, maybe that runs in the back of your head you're like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't, I've had a lot today. Um, and then of course, religion, right? Some sort of religious code, whether you're fasting, um, or, or whatever else that will be. So uh, anybody else want ice cream really bad right now? You're welcome. Um, so, what I, what I want to do though before before we jump into scripture is is um, just for us to understand and to recognize that there there really are a whole host of places that that we look to and that we turn to a whole a whole lot of things that uh, that we all turn to when it comes to authority, when it comes to making a decision in our lives. And I'm going to borrow from. Uh, an author that, that I've read a lot recently. His name is Andrew Walker. Uh, he he says, ultimately, that when we are trying to determine an answer, which, in other words, is to make a decision, we are looking for and making a determination on three things. And Those three things, I think, are probably already up here behind me. It's authority, knowledge, and trustworthiness. Authority. Who has the right to tell me what to do? Knowledge, who knows what is best for me, and then trustworthiness, who loves me and wants what is best for me? Every decision we make, even even the ones where it's a split second decision, even even some of the silly ones of making a decision to eat ice cream, we've formulated this in our minds. Who has authority and knowledge. And who can I trust? And I would contend that the majority of people, and and if if we're really honest, the majority of us in this room, we typically rely on things like our feelings. Or you could say your gut. Or perhaps our reason when we make a decision. Right? We, We essentially... Look inward. We and we rely on ourselves. The answer to those three questions—they're still up there. Good. The answer to those three questions is me, myself, and I. Right. If we're really honest, when we when we go through our life and we we are are presented with various things, we often turn to ourselves, especially in the heat of the moment when we're presented with opportunities in the instant. Well, let's turn open to Matthew sixteen, and I'm just going to read a, a couple of verses. And they're they're going to be very familiar for a lot of you. And I think it's still really helpful to us. So Matthew 16, verse 24. Says then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever wishes to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul for what will a man give in exchange for his soul this is this is one of those passages again I think many of us are familiar with this um, but I think oftentimes we we forget about it Um, and potentially even choose to ignore this passage within our Christian walk. And I would say more so, especially when we have conversations with other people about what it really looks like to live and to walk the Christian lifestyle. And now many, many people, and and again, you're probably um, familiar with this verse, many people focus on the pick up the cross portion of this verse right? Pick up your cross, bear your cross. Um, that is, that is obviously uh, in an important passage uh, or important part of this, this, this verse. Um, but what I want to focus on is the deny yourself part. Okay. The deny yourself part practically. What does that really mean? What does it look like? How do we really live that out? And how does that affect the way that we make decisions? Okay. So remember our, our little activity from just a few moments ago, Okay, again, we, we make these split-second decisions and and really, we center our decision-making conversations with other people, oftentimes on ourselves and on what we feel and what we desire. Okay, and I'm going I'm to try to get there here uh, and, and show you how that really is true in just a second. Um, but before we do that, I, and I have a lot of caveats, I'm sorry, um, just when I speak, but here's another one. It's important to, for us to understand that there, there has to be a distinction between what we might feel or desire. Um, I would say feel in this regard. Uh, there's a difference between what we feel and, and what we act upon. Okay, so there's there's a difference. There's a difference between between you and me experiencing a feeling and then acting on that feeling. And and deciding to allow that feeling to rule, which means that we feed that feeling. That we identify ourselves by that feeling. We see ourselves by that feeling or that desire. and, And then we act upon that feeling. That is what Scripture says is sinful. Because ultimately what we do in those moments is we decide that those feelings have authority. Those feelings then decide what is right and what is wrong for us. So having a feeling is not sinful. It's the dwelling on, it's, it's the focusing on, it's the acting upon such feelings that becomes sinful. Right, this, is, this is what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount Matthew 5. He's, he's not talking about just this kind of instantaneous feeling. It's, it's what you do then with that. Do you focus on it? Do you dwell on it? Do you allow that feeling to drive what you determine to be right and wrong? Do you, do you follow that feeling into an action like David does with Bathsheba? Okay, so let's, let's think practically for, for just a minute about this. Okay, let's, let's apply this to, to our lives uh, right now. Okay, this is you, you, what the spring break just happened for you guys, right? Yeah, Woo-hoo. it's over. Um, so spring break just happened. That means the end of the semester is kind of fastly approaching, right? You're probably going to be uh, gearing up for exam time here soon, right? Yeah. Okay, we, we all want to do well on exams, and you should probably try to do well on your exams. But when we, when we start to think about our habits, what do we do, and why do we do those things? Things like essentially secluding ourselves and excluding ourselves from any sort of community. Okay, why do we do that? We do it in the name of studying because we want to get a good grade. Well, why do we want to get a good grade? If you take time to think about that and you start to peel back some of those layers, well, probably because what I've thought and what I've been taught is that I've got to get a good grade so that I can get the degree, that I can then get a good job. Why? Because I want to feel secure because I want to feel safe and what provides me with that security and that safety is worldly success it's it's having what we call a solid job and so what do we do then we take this desire this feeling of wanting to be successful and then we allow that feeling to dictate and determine how we live our lives and so we back away. Right? We we remove ourselves from community. We mentally, logically, we, we we know that community is good for us, right? We we know that what scripture says about it, but we remove ourselves from it. Toxic relationships. Right? We know what is right, but what we feel keeps us there. Whether that's fear, and pretty much it's all fear, right? We don't we don't want to disappoint someone, that's fear of man. We don't want to hurt someone else's feeling, that's fear. We don't want to get hurt again, that's fear. So we stay. We allow this feeling to drive us and to dictate us. Sexual relationships, right? This desire drives us. It chemically affects us and so we give into it even though we know what Scripture says clearly. Drunkenness, same thing. Drugs, same thing. Church involvement. Discipleship. Evangelism. Missions. The the list will go on and on and on and on. But if we take the time to sit and to think, why are we doing this? What am I doing? What authority or whose authority am I really resting and trusting in? A lot of times we'll sit and we'll acknowledge, it's probably my own. And unfortunately, look guys, I get this. This is how our culture is, right? Our culture makes decisions like this daily, every second. We, we are brought up in this me-centered theolo- uh, theology. I know what is best for me, right? I know what's best for me, so nobody can tell me otherwise. I mean, let's, let's seriously think about this for just a second. Think about all of the hot-button cultural issues right now in society, the primary issue centers around self. Every single one of them. Abortion. What's the problem? Besides the murdering of, of the children, what's the rebuttal? You can't tell me what to do with my body. Sexuality. Who are you to tell me what is right and what is wrong? Gender Gender identification. Why do you get to define what I am, especially if that's not how I feel? I think it's, it is the saddest thing for me, and one of the things that really, really just tears me up is when the church and when Christians in general try to ignore or even change Scripture because of what they feel. What makes them feel better about themselves or what makes them feel better about other people or how they look in front of other people. And when those two things don't line up, something's got to change. And what's easier to change? We'll just change scripture. We'll just we'll just say, "You know what? Our culture has advanced." That stuff doesn't apply to us anymore. It doesn't really mean that. Jesus never said it, so it doesn't apply. That's Old Testament Levitical law. We're New Testament people. Jesus did away with that. We, we can say it however you want to say it, but every single one of those is an attempt to change Scripture because it can't be wrong if I or someone else is feeling this way. It can't be wrong if someone else feels that way or thinks that way, right? Who, who am I to impose on someone else's life? And who am I to impose on someone else's happiness, right? Because God wants them to be happy. Why would I, why would I get in the way of that? If that's really what would bring them happiness, let them go for it. Authority. Authority. Knowledge and trustworthiness. See, we, we 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 act like Genesis three never happened. Right? We live our lives almost as if Genesis three never took place. We forget that we are broken people. We forget that what that really means is that our feelings, our thoughts, our hearts are broken and they can lead us astray. And yes, we we still have that Genesis 1 blueprint in us. And yes, for, for those who are in Christ, we live on this trajectory to Revelation 21 in future victory, absolutely. But we can never forget that Genesis 3 took place. Because it still affects everything. And we can't ignore it. So the question is, what do we do? Where should we look for these things? And hopefully it's obvious at this point, we should look to Jesus. We should look to the Word of God. See, a crucified Creator is a God who has authority to tell us what to do who has the wisdom to know what is best for us and who has proved that he can be trusted to tell us what is best for us. And so that's what we have in the Bible. That's what we have in God's Word given to us. It reveals to us this God who has authority to demand our obedience, who has the character that deserves our respect, and this God really does know what's best for us. And he really does want what's best for us. But we have to allow authority, or excuse me, allow Scripture to be the last say in our authority. And in order to do that, we've got to be reading it. I was talking with some of my students the other day about um, the the temptations of Jesus. And we talk about what does Jesus respond with? He responds with God's word, right? He responds with scripture over and over and over and over again. And, and and I was asking him, and it's a simple question, but okay, well then what should we do, right? And you guys have probably all talked about this in um, your younger years, even now it's like, well, yeah, we should quote scripture. Okay, cool. Well, in order to quote God's word, you must first know God's word. In order to know God's word, you have to read it. Right? And, and I just, I say that kind of laughingly, Adam, like, it is that simple. Right? It is. You just got to read it. Anyways, well, <clears throat> look, when we, when we say that we are Christians, when we say we're Christians, this means that we are called to a higher way of living. There's, there is a cost to that obedience. There's, there's a cost to following Jesus, and that cost is what Jesus says here to deny ourselves, to deny ourselves. And so when we experience this feeling or this desire that we know is not something that is God-honoring or God-glorifying, we are told to deny that feeling. We are told to take those thoughts captive. We, we are told to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit it which gives us the ability to say no to those feelings. And now, where this really becomes difficult and, and is extremely challenging is applying this to our world, right? What do we do with a world that doesn't hold to the same standard? What do we, what do, we do with a world, with, with a university that doesn't hold to the same ethic as we do we we come from a completely different moral perspective what do we do with that how do we approach people with this we do exactly what scripture commands us to do we deny ourselves we embrace humility and we love god and we love others Okay, so let's let's break that down a little bit. Let's talk practically. What does that love really look like? Well, love warns, love pleads. Love comes alongside of people and walks with them. Love does absolutely everything it can to help that individual. Live forever with true eternal life with the King. This is exactly what Jesus models for us. He walks beside sinners. He eats at the table with sinners, right? He's dining with them, but he's warning them. He is pleading with them. He is speaking truth to them, but he is with them. Let me make it clear. It is not loving. It is not loving to withhold truth from other people. As well, it can be equally harmful to speak truth to people without love and compassion. Speaking truth in love and grace is very much a fine art. It is one that needs practice. It is one that demands humility. It is one that demands empathy. But this is what God has called us to do in response to our world. See, to love someone, and and this this gets dicey, and people have tons of questions when it comes to this. To love someone who lives in a way that disagrees with biblical truth is not an affirmation or a condoning of his or her sinful lifestyle. Okay, I feel like I need to say that again. To love someone who lives in a way that is contrary to biblical truth is not an affirmation or a condoning of their sinful lifestyle. You do not have to completely separate yourself and cast out from yourself anyone who lives a life contrary to Scripture. But as Jesus does, we should bring them close to us. Now, your biblical community, as I already talked about, is equally important, especially as you are spending time with people who live contrary lifestyles. You need this foundation. We are called to speak God's truth while holding out God's love and God's grace to other people. See, our our culture has really done something to Christians. They, we've, and maybe the church has done this. I'm not entirely sure which one. But we've, we've got this narrative that we have two options when it comes to our relationships with other people. Affirmation or alienation. Right, that's, that's how we kind of live. Look, if, I, if I'm with this person, if I'm friends with this person, if I'm in, in some kind of relationship with this individual, then I'm either, uh, then people look at me and think I'm affirming them. And then the opposite of that would just be to alienate, alienate ourselves. But what Jesus shows us in the gospel is that there is another response. It is a true gospel response and it is possible to respond with grace and truth. So as believers, we're called to engage and love while speaking God's truth to other people. Recognizing okay, recognizing that a part of loving other people is to share truth to them, with them. And to pers- pursue what God calls best regardless of their response. Because that is trusting God to do the work. Hey, okay? we are called to speak truth into love and then leave it in God's hands. Andrew Walker, again, he's extremely helpful uh, for us here. He's, he says this, it'll, it'll be up behind me so you can follow along. The Bible's definition of love runs contrary to the Western world's definition. According to the world, loving someone means giving them license to pursue whatever they believe will bring them happiness or fulfillment. The Bible says that love requires truth. Love does not mean looking someone in the eye and affirming every desire they experience. Love means looking someone in the eyes and communicating the truth of Scripture. We are to do so gently, but we are to do so nonetheless. It's a great, great quote. He says, Affirming someone that is living a life contrary to what Scripture commands is so far from love. We are called to speak truth to our world with grace, compassion, and love, and we cannot shrink back from this, especially in today's world. and I would say especially to those who claim the name of Christ. And that's hard. Okay? It is extremely difficult to live this way. Because it means that you will experience hardship. Right? You, you may be called a bigot. You may be accused of things that you never wanted to be associated with. It doesn't make those things true, but perception and accusation still hurt. We can't allow our own desires to get in our way. right? Our our desire to be liked can't get in the way. Our desire for safety can't can't get in the way our fear of whatever it is can't get in the way this is Jesus deals with this in the parable of the sower okay the, the seed that gets dropped on different types of soil he talks about some of them spring up kind of quickly and then the pressures of the world kind of choke them out. Yeah, that's that someone who kind of springs up and then realizes, whoa, there's a real cost of obeying. There's a real cost to living this way. And it means denying myself. And it means speaking truth and love to other people. So what we see in our world is it's nothing new. Right? This is nothing new. Jesus called it all out over 2,000 years ago. And again, I know that the Christian life is difficult, and there are so many follow-up conversations. There was, I had a really hard time condensing this. Um, there's so many kind of follow-ups that I feel like we could we could do with this. But you may have, or one of your friends who truly loves and has surrendered to Christ, you. Very well, may have to daily battle your feelings and desires. Hey, okay, some of those things don't disappear. I praise God for the ones that He has taken away, but there are still some that are a daily struggle. And that's hard because it is so much easier to just give into it than to fight it. But for some of us, for some of us, God has allowed us to remain in that. To endure and to persevere in that with the promise that there will one day be forever victory over those things. And so for the one who does endure, for the one who does persevere, it doesn't mean perfection, but for the one who who endures it and perseveres through it, that person will be resurrected anew with a, with a new kind of perfected feelings and desires and body with the Savior. And I love the, the song we sing. It so don't quit. You're almost home. Don't quit. And so if that's you, if you if you just are continually wrestling with those, if you have someone in your life that, uh, whatever that that may be, um, again, there's, there's so many things that, that people wrestle with and there's a lot of follow-up to this, but just hear that. Don't quit. Endure and persevere. But deny yourself. Deny yourself and follow Christ's example. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm uh, again just just so grateful for this time tonight as we open your Word. And um, Lord, as we just are challenged with it, just to press into the Holy Spirit to uh, allow you to change us. Uh, Lord, I pray for those in here who maybe just battling and wrestling feelings and desires, Uh, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that You give them the strength to endure and persevere. That even in the midst of that wrestling, in the midst of those struggles, that they can praise Your name even if there's never a breakthrough. Even if those remain for their entire earthly life Jesus we praise your name because you are the son of God you are our savior you demonstrated true and perfect love by becoming sin for us and so I thank you for that I praise you for that I worship you for that and I pray that we would all continue to do that tonight pray this thing in Jesus name amen